Okay, um, what are we going to do? We're in Bible basics, and so what is our doctrine this morning? The doctrine this morning is justification, right? So why should you care? Why should you care about justification? Uh, Here are some reasons. Uh, The greatest outpouring of God's Spirit upon the church and upon the culture since Pentecost. So we're going to all probably agree that Pentecost was the greatest. Uh, But the second greatest outpouring of God's Spirit upon the church and the culture, uh, arguably, in our tradition, we certainly are going to argue that, was the Protestant Reformation. Uh, There was one doctrine that was at the epicenter of it all. There was one doctrine that was the engine, the life, the power of it all. Uh, Luther describes that one doctrine this way. Justification is the chief article of Christian doctrine. To him who understands how great its usefulness, its usefulness, practicality, and majesty are, everything else will seem slight and turn to nothing. For what is Peter? (laughs) What is Paul? What is an angel from heaven? What are all creatures in comparison with this article, this doctrine of justification? For if I know, if we know this article, you are in the clearest light. If you don't know this article, you dwell in the densest of darkness. Therefore, if you see this article impugned or imperiled, do not hesitate to resist Peter or an angel from heaven, for it cannot be sufficiently extolled. What incredible, obviously, uh, delight and majesty and wonder at this doctrine the world had at that day, because this doctrine changed the world back then, and its effects are still felt today. Uh, Jonathan Edwards was the leader of the third greatest outpouring of God's Spirit upon the church, upon church leaders, upon the culture, upon the world. And it was called the second, or it was called the first great awakening. The second, not so much, but the first is ranked up there. What was at the epicenter of the great awakening? What was the engine? What was the life? What was the power of the great awakening? Well, Edwards answers in 1738 this way. The beginning of the work of God in this place was so circumstanced that I could not but look upon it as a remarkable testimony of God's approbation of the doctrine of justification. Why should you care about justification? Well, according to church history, as according to the Bible, it's the epicenter of Christianity. It is the engine, it is the life, it is the power of Christianity. Justification makes healthy Christians. Justification makes healthy church leaders. Justification makes healthy churches. Justification makes healthy cultures. We could say it this way. You can know any place in a church, in a culture, in church leaders, Any place where the doctrine of justification is not clear to the mind and real to the heart, it's an unhealthy place. That's how useful it is. This doctrine is so practical that if it's clear to your mind and real to your heart, you're healthy. And if it's not clear to our minds and real to our hearts as a church, as a culture, church leaders, we're unhealthy. That's as pretty practical as it can get. Ted Haggard, former pastor of a 14,000-member church, mega church called New Life Church in Colorado Springs, former president of the 30-million-member 
National Association of Evangelicals, that's our tribe. Our tribe is the evangelical tribe, the reformed evangelical tribe. Uh, he was all over the news a while back, back in actually 2006, and it was not for good stuff. It was for sexual sin. It was for uh, illegal drug use. Uh, at first, he denies it, and then finally, he confesses, I'm a liar and I'm a deceiver, and he talks about this dark desire that he has struggled with, with sexual sin for a long time. Paul Walker is a pastor of Christ Church in Virginia. He was reflecting on Haggard, and he said, with that confession, how could you not have compassion for him, and how could you not relate to him, if not in the particulars, at least in the description of his human condition? Leith Anderson was a pastor of a mega, mega church uh, in Minnesota at the time, and he was the successor. He was quickly appointed by the National Association of Evangelicals to take his place as the president. And he also reflected on Haggard, and he said this, I think most evangelicals will understand that if there are 45,000 churches affiliated with the National Association of Evangelicals, that 44,999 of them have leaders that did not misbehave, and that one person misbehaved, and that that is an anomaly. I had to look anomaly up because I wasn't quite sure what it was. An anomaly is an abnormality. It's a glitch. It's an oddity. So misbehavior, according to Leith Anderson, is an oddity. Why should you care about justification? Because justification disagrees with Leith Anderson. Justification disagrees with most church leaders today. Justification disagrees with most church teaching today. Justification degrees, disagrees with most churches today. It's a very practical doctrine. Charles Spurgeon, Prince of Preachers, right? I mean, the Prince of Preachers. Uh, he said that uh, there was a time in his pastorate as the prince of preachers, as this phenomenal pastor, as this gifted leader in the church all over the world, uh, that he said he nearly lost his mind. Uh, today we call it a nervous breakdown. Today we call it um, a mental breakdown or a chronic mental health condition. Uh, but I think it's better that you hear it from him and his description. As for myself, I know that I was born in sin, and I know that in me, that in my flesh, there dwelleth no good thing. Because, you know, he's a pastor, the prince of preachers. He knows his Bible. He's a Christian leader. I know also that I once tried to purge and cleanse my own heart. And I labored at it, I believe, as honestly as any person that ever lived has tried. I went about to seek a righteousness of my own, and I endeavored to quit sin but my failure was complete. I do not advise any other person to try self-healing. It brought me to despair. It drove me almost to the loss of reason. Therefore, I speak of my own experience, and I'm taught by my own failure. I cannot urge any man to seek a cleansing, a righteousness by his own doings or his own efforts. But I urge him, I urge him, I urge her to accept the righteousness that God gives. Why should you care about justification? Because justification explains you. Because justification diagnoses you. 
Because justification enlightens the dark places in our soul that we don't even know are there, that we don't even understand why we do what we do. In fact, Paul says, I don't even understand what I do. And justification explained him to him. Justification reveals the inner impulses, the dynamic workings of your own heart. It's a really practical doctrine. Last one, why should you care about justification? Just really, really simple, because you're guilty. And because you're full of shame. Shame is the emotion of guilt, of condemnation. Guilt and condemnation have an exact opposite in the Bible called justification. Justification addresses guilt and condemnation, and it carries this boatload of new emotions with it, most notably called peace, a completeness, a shalom, a wholeness, a peace that permeates your mental thinking, a peace that redoes your emotional makeup, a peace that goes down to your very roots of your being, a peace that the Bible tells us is the very peace of Jesus himself. Because we are peaceless people. And justification is so powerful and life-giving that it addresses your deepest need and gives you a whole new mental emotional makeup. We say today it changes your life. Why should you care about justification? There are a lot of reasons. We stand for the hearing of God's word. We're going to start with Jesus. Of course, we should start with Jesus. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. So two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, one a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector over here. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified, rather than the other. For the one who exalts himself will be humble, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. What is justification? Let's look at Romans. Now, to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. What is justification? Let's continue in Romans. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of God in whom he believed. Who is this God? The one that gives life to the dead, who calls into existence the things that do not exist. Remember that. What is justification? Who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification? What is justification? Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness. And what that is saying, it summarizes the whole work of Jesus leads to justification and life for all men. What is justification? 
For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, also to the Greek, for in it, what's in it? What's in this thing called the gospel? For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed, of course, from, first, from, faith, from faith to faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. What is justification? As they went out, the people begged that these things might be told to them at the next Sabbath. And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews, devout converts to Judaism, followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. So, Lord, we thank you. We thank you that we get to look intently and deeply at this unbelievable reality of the good news, the centerpiece of the good news. And so, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would shine on the page and shine on the glory of what Jesus has accomplished in this work called justification. And Jesus, that we would experience you right now, this morning, in justification. We ask this in your name. Amen. What is justification? I, I absolutely, like, when I got to this passage, I'm like, oh yeah, we are going to look at this passage. I'm not passing up this passage. Acts 13, 42. If you need a Bible, there should be one in front of you. If not, turn on electric device. We're going to look at various passages as you know, here we do kind of look at the passage. I'm going to make you look at the passage. We're going to look at words in the passage. And so I want you to see where it's coming from because we actually believe that God is in the grammar, that God shows up in the grammar, that you experience him in the grammar. So as they went out, the people, who are these people? These would be the people of modern-day Turkey, okay? So as they went out, the people begged that these things might be told them at the next Sabbath. What are these things? There's a huge sermon that Paul preaches in there, and he's preaching, and he's teaching, and he's reflecting, and he's theologizing, and he's debating, and he's discussing the wonders of justification. But in that sermon, he does so from the beginning with Abraham, then he goes to Moses, and then he goes to David, and then he leads everybody to Jesus. One big sermon on justification. And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. The next Sabbath, so at the local synagogue, the local church in this town, in modern-day Turkey, the next time church happened, the whole city was there. This is so phenomenal. This is so incredible. Of course, We've already seen it in church history. A whole generation is there. A whole Western world is there. A whole nation, a whole world shows up to hear this thing. Now, this is incredible because whatever justification is, where do you ever even looked at it? Whatever it means, you beg for it. Whatever it is, whatever it means, you beg for it. And then when you get a little of it, you beg for more. 
I just want you to think about that for a moment because that made me just start thinking, like, what do I beg for? What do I beg more for? What is it? You know, what, what makes me say, please give me more. I need more. I must have more. What does that in your life? What does that in my life? You know, is it chocolate cake? I think, you know, if I'm really honest, guest barbecue does that for me. It's just getting so doggone expensive. Um, a sunset. One of the few to stand on top of Mount Everest and look at the view. Is that what you beg for? A week at the beach? Or a week in your room, like binging on your favorite TV show? More time with someone? What do you beg for? Whatever justification is, whatever it means, you beg for it. And you beg more for it. I must have it. I need it. It's my oxygen. So just a quick implication right now. Think about that. If you're begging more for it, that means that justification is not just the ABCs of the Christian life. If you're begging for it and you're begging for more and more and more and you can't get enough. So it means that justification is not the doorway into the Christianity doorway into the Christian life. Or it's not when you go through the doorway, you go over to the living room and, oh, there's justification, and you sit down in that room. What that means is that justification is not just the ABCs of the Christian life. It's the A through Z of the Christian life. It's the whole thing. Justification is what we live and move and have our being in. Justification is what you suffer in. It's what you learn to love in. It's where you learn to connect to God in. It's where you learn how to deal with your shame in. It's where you learn how to be a community and have friends in. It's where you learn how to serve in. It's where you learn to do good in. It's where you learn to work hard in. Justification is what you live, move, and have your being in. It's your oxygen. What is justification? All right, let's go to uh, Jesus' um, story that he tells in Luke 18.9. If you have that, this is, this is a, it's like a pair of glasses. This verse is going to come up to you, and it's going to go, hey, put these on. This is verse 9. Look through verse 9 to look at the rest of the story. If you don't look through verse 9 to see the rest of the story, you're going to misunderstand the whole story. So here's the pair of glasses. He also told them this parable to some who trusted. So the people that are being talked to, he's telling the story to, are those who trust in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. So trusting in yourself or thinking, feeling, relating, doing life as if you are righteous is who are being targeted here. And you ask, okay, well, that's not me, right? <laughs> and you fit perfectly into the story. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee. In other words, someone who trusts in himself, someone who says, I am seeking a righteousness of my own. 
Whether they verbalize it, that's what's going on in the subterranean roots of their being. It's what we do, it's what we think, it's what we feel, it's how we relate, it's how we do work, it's how we suffer, it's how we look at sports, it's how we look at competition, it's how we look at winning, it's how we look at losing, it's how we look at culture, it's how we look at ideologies, it's how we do everything. It's global, universal, it's the air we breathe, everyone. The other was a tax collector. So in other words, someone who doesn't trust in himself. In other words, someone that says, I have no righteousness of my own. The Pharisee, someone who trusts in himself, I'm seeking a righteousness of my own, standing by himself, prayed, and oh, here he goes. He's going to, I do this, I do this, I do this, I do this, I don't do this, I don't do this, I don't do this. But the tax collector, verse 13, someone who does not trust in himself, I have no righteousness of my own stands far off, wouldn't even lift his eyes to heaven, beats his breast and says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Whatever justification means, that guy gets it. This is so shocking. This is so stunning. Uh, If Paul, Paul, in the verse that we looked up up here, here's what Paul says. He's going to interpret this whole thing for you. God justifies And we're all hanging on the edge of our seat. God justifies and everyone is standing to attention. God justifies and we're all saying, give me more. The messed up. The ungodly. The unrighteous. Those that are extortioners, unjust, adulterers tax collectors. This is so phenomenal because this means whatever justification means, whatever it does mean, it's a doctrine for sinners. This means that only sinners get it. So only sinners understand justification in a way that it's clear to the mind. Only sinners and messed up people and ungodly people and unrighteous people get or experience justification in such a way that it's their oxygen and they beg for more and it's real to their heart. Sometimes while preaching a sermon on justification, Martin Luther would freak out, absolutely freak out. R.C. Sproul, the late R.C. Sproul, great theologian, pastor, He explains why. He says this. He, Luther, said when he preached his most powerful sermons on justification by faith alone, that people fell asleep in the congregation. (laughs) Number one is a preacher. I love that. Because if you have any ounce of like whatever in you as a preacher, you want to be a good preacher, and you look at other good preachers, and you look at the prince of preachers, you look at a Luther, and you go, good, you too. But think about that. This is the great Luther. This is the time of the greatest outpouring of the Spirit of God upon the church and upon the culture, arguably since Pentecost, and has been the apex, hasn't been like summited since. This makes no sense. How can that happen? If this is such a glorious thing, how could it happen? How could anyone fall asleep in justification? It's so powerful. It's everything we just saw, right? How can this happen? 
And the answer is, how can someone fall asleep on the doctrine of justification? The answer from the Bible is, when we don't feel our sin. When you don't feel the debt of your sin, you fall asleep on justification. When you don't feel your shame, you fall asleep on justification. When you don't feel the power of self-trust, that story that Jesus told, the power of a self-love, a self-absorption, we call it self, we call it narcissism today, as if it's a disorder. (laughs) I just love that. We have a narcissistic disorder. Yep, everybody's got it. But if it makes us feel better to categorize some people in it like we don't have it, it puts you to sleep. If we don't feel this need to, if you don't feel this need to prove yourself before God, before others, before the law, or before some little law of life like, you know, the scale or, or capability or whatever a good mom is supposed to be, however you're supposed to educate your kids, if you don't feel that need, that that in your blood drive, you fall asleep on justification. If you don't feel your meanness, you fall asleep on justification. If you don't feel that you are completely unable to love, that there's no peace within you, that you don't come into this world with joy and peace, you fall asleep on justification. If you don't feel the conflict between sin and grace in the Christian life, that you are simultaneously a saint and a sinner, if you don't feel that dynamic splitness, conflict, civil war, you fall asleep on justification. This is incredible because whatever justification means, you know, we haven't even defined it yet. We don't even know what it means. Whatever it means, it means it's populated by a league of failures. Well, let's just look at some on the list. We have Noah the drunk, who also does the creepy sex act while he's drunk, just to make a note, footnote. No one wants to read that part. Abraham the loser husband. What is this great example of faith throughout all the Bible and throughout all the New Testament? Well, he, he gives up, he's willing to give up his own wife to sleep with another man to protect his own skin. Now, we kind of leave that one out too. And then there's Jacob, the ultimate Ponzi schemer, right? But who does he deceive? It wasn't just nameless people in their retirements. It was his own dad, his own brother, his own family, his own tribe. He steals it and bolts. And then you got Moses the murderer. We forget about that. But remember, he was the first self-appointed social activist. He thought he was going to save his race. You have Samson the sex addict. We'll just keep going. You have David the adulterer and murderer. Now remember, this is his closest. He had, he had these Gentiles that had come to him. Like, did you know that the mighty men, the men that did all these phenomenal feats were Gentiles? 
which makes sense because, you know, Jesus is likened to the son of David. Jesus is the ultimate warrior, and everybody wants to be around him, and everybody follows him, and his closest friends. He has sex with his wife, and then sends him to the front lines to get murdered, which means he had to murder a bunch of other of his good men. A man after God's own heart. Then you got Rahab, the sex worker, And I don't know what the spies were doing over there. Watch the theologians try to solve that one. Then you have Mary Magdalene, the occult worshiper. You have Peter, the absolute worst Christian that ever lived. At the cosmic Super Bowl, at the moment where he has told Jesus, he has boasted over and over again to Jesus. Remember? Oh, I'm not. I'll stand with you. I'll do it. I'll bring in the kingdom with you, Jesus. All these losers that you have with you, they're going to run from you, but I won't. And at that moment, what does he do? Not just once, not just twice, three times. And then you have Saul, probably the greatest human being that ever lived besides Jesus, who was a sadistic hunter of Christians went into homes and dragged people out of their homes, their kids screaming, taking the wives, taking the husbands, either killing and stoning them on the spot or dragging them off to prison where they disappeared. This is just to name a few of our heroes. So who wants, who wants to be a part of the League of Failure? What is justification? Are you ready? I guess we're all ready now. I guess time's winding down. We got to get to the answer. Here we go. Justification is God calling you righteous when you're not. Justification is God calling you righteous, but you're not. Listen to God speak you to life. There's a God. There's a God that exists in the world. There's a God that exists. The true and living God, he exists. And the text says he calls into existence things that do not exist. He calls and says, let there be righteousness where there is none. He comes up to you and he says to you, in the league of failures, in your absolute messed upness, and says, let there be righteousness, Abraham. Let there be righteousness, Knox. And there was. Listen to God speak you to life. There's a God, there's such a God that exists who justifies the ungodly. Let there be righteousness. Let there be righteousness where there is no righteousness, where there's only ungodliness, where there's only messed up people, where there's only brokenness, where there's only darkness, where there's only narcissism, where there's only wretchedness, where there's only extortioners, thieves, stealers, murderers, adulterers, liars, deceivers, unloving, peaceless. Let God speak you to life. The power of the gospel is because in it, 
Because in it, here's the power. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God. Well, why, why are you not ashamed of the gospel, Paul? Because it's the power of God. Okay, but why is it the power of God? Because in it, in the gospel, is the very righteousness of God given. Let there be righteousness, God says. And it's not just any righteousness. It's my own. You get my own. You have my own. Technically, this doctrinal dynamic that we're discussing right now is called imputation, for those of you that really like to get technical. This means seeing something in someone that is not actually there. So God imputes your sin on Jesus. Jesus, the sinless, not actually there, becomes your sin. He becomes your sin. What sin did just eating your lunch right now? Jesus became it. All of it. Every drop of it. Took it away from you. Put it into his very being. The condemnation of it, the guilt of it, and all the death-dealing strokes of it. God imputes, so God imputes your sin to Jesus, and then God imputes Jesus' righteousness to you. So you, the sinful, become righteous. With the very righteousness of another, Let there be righteousness where there is none, and there was. What is justification? It's a practical doctrine, but I think it's more than anything a dangerous doctrine. God calls you righteous when you are not by giving you the very righteousness of Jesus himself. Anyone read Pilgrim's Progress? Okay, good. You know the author's John Bunyan. He had a dear friend named John Owen who was the greatest theologian in that day at that time. Uh, he's probably, you know, arguably one of the greatest of this day or any time. For instance, everybody, everybody, you know, there's a bad rap on our tradition that we don't, like, talk about the Holy Spirit. Um, we can talk about that later. But here's one thing that's very, very interesting. <laughs> John Owen. Yeah, I just did that. John Owen six, did it, wrote a 651-page treatise on the Holy Spirit. I have it. It's a weapon. It's the first thing I'm grabbing someone comes through my house. John Owen's the Holy Spirit. Today, if it was in book form, it'd be 5,000 pages. In other words, you got to get a magnifying glass to read the original Banner of Truth Trust version. It's like, oh, my word, or you'll get a massive migraine headache reading it. He, uh, because he was so brilliant, Owen, because he was so smart, because he was so good with theology, the king at the time wanted him around, just like people today. If you got an influential person, a king, a ruler, an elite, they want other people that are like that around. 
And so he had him around, and one day the king asked Owen, says, why do you listen to that uneducated tinker preach? Tinker means a handyman, a repairman. He was referring to John Bunyan. Owen said, I would willingly exchange my learning for the tinker's power of touching men's hearts. What was the tinker's power in touching men's hearts? Well, I thought he should tell you. Why should I tell you? I was tormented with uncertainty. This is John Bunyan. I was tormented with uncertainty about my standing with God until justification rose like the sun in my soul. One day I was passing into the field. This sentence fell upon my soul. Thy righteousness is in heaven. And methought. I love that. And methought, and here's another one, withal, and methought withal, I saw with the eyes of my soul Jesus Christ at God's right hand. There I say was my righteousness. And so whatever I was or whatever I was doing, there was my righteousness. God could not say to me, he lacks my righteousness because it was right in front of him. There's my righteousness. I also saw, moreover, that it was not my good frame of heart that made my righteousness better, nor my bad frame of heart that made my righteousness worse. For my righteousness was Jesus himself. The same yesterday, today, and forever. Now did my chains fall off. Now, he says, was I set free. Now. I got on breathing the oxygen of the Christian life. Now, I touch people's hearts. Not me, of course. The justification of Jesus, of course. Let there be righteousness where there is none. It's a dangerous doctrine. Let's pray.